to open them to again today to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 91. We have been here in Psalm 91 for a couple of weeks. I believe this is the third week. We will be dealing with Psalm 91. We are talking about the, the subject, dealing with the subject, the theme of shadow living. Somebody would say, what is that? What is shadow living? It, shadow living is what the psalmist talked about in, um, in this 91st Psalm when he, when he talked about abiding under the shadow of the Almighty God. I think that, I know that is a good place for us to be is under the shadow of the Most High God, under the shadow of the Almighty. And uh, the psalmist began that 91st Psalm by talking about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High and abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. So he talks about a dwelling and an abiding And then he gives blessings in this 91st Psalm for those who do dwell and abide in that secret place. And uh, so today, we want to begin reading here. I'm not going to take time to read the whole Psalm, but I encourage you to do that. And it would be even good if you would take this 91st Psalm uh, on a daily basis or on a, at least on a regular basis and read it, and meditate on it, and pray through it, and make it your very own, because these are promises of protection and blessing that God has given to you as a believer who are abiding in Christ and dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. And so we've covered some of those blessings already. Last week we talked about being delivered from the snare of the fowler, And today we want to talk about God's protecting angels, all right? God's protecting angels. So in Psalm 91, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 9 through verse number 13. Psalm 91 and verse 9. He begins with, what's the first word in that verse? Because. I like that word because it... It it denotes another condition. And we said that these promises that are given here in Psalm 91, and we'll see that again today as we go through, but these promises are not just for everybody. They're not universal for everyone, but only to those who meet the conditions. And here he gives another condition, and he says, Because you have made the Lord... Who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place? No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. And look at verse 11. Now those are good promises right there. How many will agree with that? No evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. Verse 11, for he, and this is the reason why... This is true, for he, speaking of God, the Almighty God, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. 
Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for another opportunity, the privilege we have to come together to be in your house, to worship you, to hear your word. I'm asking you today, Lord, for your anointing, that you will anoint me, that you will quicken my thoughts and my mind, give me the words that you would have me to say, that you will help me to minister your word to your people today. Open our hearts to receive the seed of the word on good ground. And help us today that our faith will be built up and strengthened and encouraged. In Jesus' mighty name, we give you the praise. And everybody said amen and amen. I read a story some time ago of a missionary. And I've, I've, I've read this account on several occasions. But it was a missionary uh, that was... Uh, in the New Hebrides Islands, and his name was John Patton. One night, uh, there were some hostile natives that came and surrounded his mission station. It was intent on burning out the missionaries and their families and killing them. Patton, being aware of the danger that they were facing, he pulled his wife and his children aside. He got the other missionaries together that were there, and they begin to have a prayer meeting, and they uh, begin to call upon the Lord and ask God for His protection and ask God for deliverance. Well, they were spared that night, and when the morning came, they found that, that, the, um, that the natives never did attack them as they prayed through that night. But when daylight came, they were amazed to see that the attackers had left for no apparent reason. That all of those, those natives that had, were bent on destruction had just vanished and disappeared. Well, they didn't know what ex exactly had happened, but years later, the chief of that particular tribe of natives had given his heart to the Lord and had gotten saved and uh, had become a Christian. And so John Patton met with this man and he uh, talked to him and he, he was curious and he said, I have to ask you a question. He was so excited that this chieftain had given his heart to the Lord that he said, I've got to ask you a question that's been bothering me for a long time. And he said, a few years ago, when you were leading those people that night to attack our village and to kill us, suddenly, without any explanation, you guys left. Everyone left, and, and I don't know what happened. Can you tell me why you did that? And the chieftain was surprised at what Patton had said to him, and he said, well, we left because there was a, an army of, of men surrounding your village and surrounding where you were. And he said, who were all those men that you had with you that night? And Patton said, I don't know what you're talking about. There were no men present there with me. It was just me and my family and a few other missionaries that had gathered together that, that were there that night. But that chief said, he said, we saw hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords that were circling that mission station that night. And we knew that there was no way that we could attack you. Do you know what happened? I know what happened. They knew what happened. Through their prayers, God had sent His angels to guard them and to protect them that no evil would befall them and no harm would come to 
to them. Amen. God had protected the Patton family. And I want you to know something this morning. I believe in the angelic protection of Almighty God over His people, over His children. Can somebody give me an amen today? How many believe in God's angelic hosts? Amen. Now we're studying this 91st Psalm about living under the shadow of the Almighty, under God's protection. And in these verses here that we've read in verse 11 and 12, he speaks about the promise of angelic involvement in the life of the believer. And as we told you a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's believed, it really doesn't say, but it's believed that Moses was the author of Psalm 91. We know he wrote Psalm 90, and we believe he wrote Psalm 91. It was a psalm that God had given to him, a psalm of protection for the church in the wilderness, for the people of God as they traveled, traveled those 40 years through the wilderness. But it speaks here of an angelic protection that God had given not only to those as they traveled through the wilderness, but also an angelic protection that is given to the church and to believers today. You know, angels are something. I mean, angels are mysterious messengers from heaven. And I do believe that angels play an active role in the life of every child of God. Angels are nearer to us than what we can even think or imagine. They are all around us. They take care of us and they minister to us. And there are thousands of angels that are dispatched by God to protect and to care for and to help God's people. The Bible tells us that there is an innumerable company of angels. Amen. And also the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 and 14. He said, speaking of angels, he said that they are all ministering spirits that are sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Well, that includes you and I today. Amen. So even when we're not aware of their presence, if you are a child of God today, according to the Scripture, God has sent forth those ministering spirits to be there as a protection in your life and to minister for you and to minister to you. Even when we're not aware of their presence they are with us. Now, I don't know that I've ever seen an angel. You mean, Brother Rick, you, might, you, you could have seen an angel and not know it? Well, the Bible tells us to be careful to entertain strangers because some, having done so, have entertained angels unaware. So, I don't know. I know one thing, that there have been many times in my life and ministry and, uh, and my wife and our family as well that I know that God had sent angelic beings, His angels, to surround us and to protect us from danger. Amen. The Bible said the Bible mentions angels in 34 books of the 66 books of the Bible that in 34 of those books uh, angels are mentioned for a total of 273 times. 108 times in the Old Testament angels are mentioned and 165 times in the New Testament angels are, are mentioned. And there is a lot of of interest 
in angels. Seems like everybody, uh, you know, today you, you, you can, I think you know this. You, if you watch any YouTube videos or follow any particular ministries or anything on YouTube, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of talk recently of angels. So many people that claim that they have been visited by angels. Many that claim that they have received messages from angels and that could be true, but I, you know, I, I, I've got the message right here. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. And uh, there are many that claim those messages, but I want to say something right up front today. I want to say something right before we get into this message, and that is that we are not to be obsessed with angels. Are you with me? They are real. They are there. God has sent them to watch over us. But we are not to allow ourselves to become obsessed with angels. We are not to seek our, uh, angelic manifestations. We are not to pray uh, for angel angelic manifestations. We are not to go around looking for angels or hunting for angels. Because in doing that and delving into that area, we could open a door for a visitation by an evil angel. And I want you to know we don't want that. Come on somebody. There are good angels that are God's holy angels and there are fallen angels. You know that, that when, when Lucifer rebelled who also is, was and is an angel although a fallen angel but when Lucifer rebelled against God he, he, he seduced a third of the angels, pulled a third of the angels uh, with him in his rebellion. But you know what? He's got a third with him, but thank God we've still got, God still got two-thirds of the angels that did not fall that are sent forth to minister for us. Amen. But those today who claim to have received messages from angelic beings that contradict, and I've run into this on several occasions, but any message that is given or, or doctrine that is taught that even though may claim they claim that they received it from an angel, if it contradicts the Bible, the Word of God, what's in between these two covers, if it contradicts that in any way, it was given by a fallen angel or a false angel. Paul told that churches, the churches at Galatia, though we, even we or an angel from heaven would come and preach any other gospel than what you have already received, let them be accursed. We have a religion called Mormonism today. In a book, of, they, they base their beliefs on a book of Mormon that was supposedly given to Joseph of Smith by an angel named Moroni. Well, yeah, it was an angel that probably gave him the Book of Mormon, but it's another gospel. It's a false gospel. It was given by a fallen angel. So my, my point is this. Angels are real and God uses angels, but don't become obsessed with them and do not seek uh, angelic visitations. Are, are you with me today? Amen. 
Praise God. Now, we're not, we're, we're not to be uh, praying to angels. We are not to be worshiping angels. We are, we are not to be commanding angels and giving angels orders. The Bible says that here in this psalm that it's God who gives his angels orders and guards and uh, to guard us and to protect us according to his will in our lives. But if you notice in that psalm, it says... That the Lord gives charge to his angels on our behalf. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm just going to leave God, I'm going to leave it up to God to give his angels commands as to what they do. Amen. I don't believe there's any, any um, scripture that, that verifies that we are to talk to angels or to give them commands or to tell them what to do. I'm not smart enough to give an angel a command. I leave that to God. He's the one that will give them charge. They are under His commands. Amen? The Bible tells us in Psalm 103 and verse 20, it says, Bless the Lord, ye His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening to the voice of His Word. So it's, it's, it's God who angels listen to, and it's God Almighty who gives them direction, and gives them commands, and gives them charge over our life. But it's assuring to know this, that God knows me and God knows you. You are his child. And he has given an angel, the angel's commands and a charge to be with you, to protect you, to watch over you, and to care for you. And that's why he said you don't have to be afraid. Amen. Somebody said, I, I remember Brother Shambach years ago said, I've got two angels and I know their names. And I'm thinking, now come on, Brother Shambach, what are you talking about? He said their names are goodness and mercy because the Bible says surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Hallelujah! Well, I don't know if those are two angels or not, but I know one thing God has got angels encamped around about those who fear the Lord and they are there to deliver us. Can I get an amen this morning? Oh, hallelujah. I don't know. I kind of feel good this morning. But angels usually work undercover. They're God's, Billy Graham called them God's secret agents. Amen? And that's what they are. They don't, they don't draw attention to themselves. They don't want your worship. They don't want your praise. But the angels do God's bidding. And that, listen, that gives us hope in troubled times that we're living in today that we know there are angels around us that are watching over us and protecting us. I don't know how many times, you don't know how many times that angels have intervened in your life. Amen? One of these, when we get to heaven, and we'll get to, God will let us know that probably, but, but how many times God has, has dispatched those angels to get us out of tight situations? How many times they protected us from, from harm and we didn't even know it. They really are. They're God's secret service. They're God's secret agents that surround the believer. The Bible says, listen, in Psalm 34 and 7, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear the Lord and delivers them. Hallelujah. So, you know, right now in this service today, do you know that we are surrounded by hundreds of angelic beings? How many believe that? 
We are. But that's not what we should get excited about. And, and, you know, when we say, well, you know, there's angels in our midst today and we're surrounded by angelic beings, and that is true. But that's not we sh- what we should be getting excited about. Not that angels are here, that there are angels all around us. You know what really should excite us today? You know what really should get us worked up today? And uh, the exciting thing is not that angels are present, but the exciting thing is that Jesus Christ is here, that the Lord Jesus Christ is present with us that he is in our midst and that's what we rejoice in today now the Bible the Bible is filled with stories after story of of, of angelic intervention there was angels that appeared you know to different ones in the Old Testament to help them and all of that but uh, to announce births I think Samson's birth was announced by an angel of course we know John the Baptist's birth was announced by an angel Jesus birth was announced by an angel, but the Bible is filled with stories of angelic intervention in the lives of God's people. When you look at the New Testament and that early church, you know, when when, when the church was young and just birthed and, and people were being saved in the book of Acts, there was miracles being performed, multitudes were coming to the Lord, and the devil stirred up, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they had Peter and John arrested and put in prison and the Bible says there in Acts chapter 5 that it said that here's Peter and John in prison but but that night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and told them to go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life an angel came and busted them out of jail there wasn't a jail that could hold them again there in Acts chapter 12 a little farther over the Bible says that King Herod King Herod Herod, uh, you know, he killed James with the sword, the, the one of the apostles. And because it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. And he had Peter arrested. And Peter had gotten out of jail one time before, and they couldn't figure out how that happened. And so uh, they made the determination Peter's not getting out this time. So they delivered him to four squadrons of soldiers. They had him chained up in the prison uh, to two soldiers. One arm chained to one soldier, one arm chained to another soldier. And they said, he's not getting out this time. And the next morning, the night that he's on death, Peter's on death row. And the next morning, he's to be brought out and to be executed. He was faced with an emergency situation. But do you know what the church did? It excites me because you know what the church did? They had a prayer meeting. Thank God for prayer meetings. Can I get an amen? They got together and they began to pray and they began to seek God. And the Bible said that prayer unceasing prayer was made by the church unto God for Peter. And you know what happened? You know the story. God answered that prayer. And God dispatched an angel to that prison. And there in the middle of the night, Peter's not really much worried about it because he's asleep there between those two guards he's chained to. Uh, There's a squad, four squads of soldiers all around guarding the cell. But all of a sudden, an angel shows up right there. Oh, somebody ought to say man today. An angel shows up right there in the cell with Peter. And Peter's snoozing so good, he's cut, he, he's just sawing logs. I mean, he's, 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 he's just snoring away. And he doesn't even know the angel's there. And the angel smacks him on the side and says, hey, get up, man. We're busting out of here. 
We're getting out. And he wakes Peter up. And he has Peter. He said, put on your robe. Put on your sandals. And he, when he had Peter to stand up, as soon as Peter stood up, the chains that were binding him to those two soldiers fell off of his hands. He puts on his sandals. He puts his, his coat around him. And he begins to follow the angel. And the Bible said he didn't even realize it was something that was really happening. He thought, Peter thought he was seeing a vision and he was having a vision of this and and he follows the angel through the first ward, through the second ward and he comes to the iron gate that leads out into the city that no doubt was locked and guarded but the iron gate just opened up all by itself and Peter walks out and when he gets outside he comes to himself and he even said my I thought I was having a vision I didn't realize it but God has sent his angel and delivered me out of that prison. Praise God. That is an intervention of an angelic being to deliver one of his people. Angels are real. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. I mean, through the Old Testament, we see when, when, um, uh, when Daniel was arrested for praying, when praying was against the law. You know, if praying was against the law today, there wouldn't be too many Christians arrested. But anyway, <laughs> Daniel was arrested because there was a law against praying for 30 days. But he went up into his loft and he opened the door or the windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed on his knees three times every day just like he did before. And the, the, the sentence for praying and asking a petition of any God or man for 30 days other than, other than King Darius, the sentence was being thrown in the lion's den. We know the story, Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den. There were those hungry angels. Uh, hungry lions down there. Daniel's thrown into that lion's den. King Darius leaves him in there all night. He comes in the next morning. They roll the stone back from that den of lions and he says, well, what about it, Daniel? Was your God, whom you serve faithfully and continually able to deliver you from the mouth of those lions? And Daniel said, oh, king, I've had a good night's sleep tonight, last night. Just live forever, oh, king, for God. Here's what he said. For God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Amen. There was an angel standing there holding the jaws and the mouths of those lions. It was protection from God. Can I get an amen today? Hallelujah. So God has his angels, his secret service, protecting his people. Now, the question is asked, and we could give so many illustrations of this, but the question is asked a lot of times, does every person, does everybody have a personal guardian angel? And I know there's a lot of people that believe that, that, that everybody has a personal guardian angel. But I believe, here's what I believe. And I believe the Bible bears this out. I believe that angelic protection is for those who are the children of God, number one. Those who fear the Lord. The angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear Him, right? The promise here in Psalm 91 
And we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the promise here in Psalm 91 is for those who dwell in the secret place and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so he goes on there in verse 11 to say, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now notice that, that term there, and that phrase, to keep you in all your ways. And we, we, sometimes people think, well, that means that's my ways. But that's not what he's referring to. The ways that he's referring to are, are God's ways and not our ways. And we need to get this. The angels, you've heard the old, the old saying before, well, he's going where angels fear to tread. Well, I can tell you if you get out from under the shadow of the Almighty and out from under the protection of God and walk in your own way, you're going where your angel won't go. Boy, y'all quiet today. That's the truth. Amen? He said that He will keep you in all your ways. Keep us in all of God's ways. So it's not referring to, to our ways, but it's referring to God's way. God's ways. So it doesn't mean that He'll keep you, that angels will protect you in just whatever path you choose or whatever you will do. It's, it's, it's saying here that you must walk in the will of God. And as you and I stay in the will of God and in the ways of God, then God will keep us and protect us. What he's saying in this passage of Scripture is that angelic involvement will be activated in our lives when we're walking in the way of the Lord. If you step out or get out of the ways of the Lord, then this promise is not necessarily for you. How many, how many understand what I'm saying? Charles Spurgeon said that, the, that he who travels on the king's highway is under the king's protection, but he who takes... Uh, to buy roads must protect himself. Well, I got news for you. I don't want to protect myself. I can't keep myself or protect myself. I need God's hand of protection. I'm staying under the shadow. Come on, somebody. I'm staying under the shadow of the Almighty God. Now, there's something interesting about this verse of Scripture that, that is given here in Psalm 91 about the angels keeping you in all your ways. The interesting thing is that this is the verse of Scripture that the devil quoted to Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and every temptation that Satan brought against Jesus, what did Jesus do? He whipped out the sword of the Spirit, didn't he? He used the Word of God. And when he... You know, he told him, oh, well, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he said, no, it's written, Satan. It's written. Amen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then he tried to get him to worship him. But, but on that third temptation, Satan took him up to a pinnacle of the temple and tried to get Jesus to jump off. And he quoted this verse, but he misquoted this verse. Satan knows the Bible, but he always adds something to it or takes something away from it. 
He always misquotes it or misapplies it. Amen. And that's what he did when he gave this verse to Jesus. And here's what Satan said to Jesus. He said in Luke 4 and 10, he said, For it is written, he said, Go ahead and cast yourself down. For it is written, here's what God says. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. What did he leave out? He left out a very important part. The part of that verse that says, he will keep you in all your ways. In other words, if you, he didn't, want, he, he didn't want that part in there because Satan himself knows that if you get out of the ways of righteousness, out of the ways of God, and walk in rebellion and disobedience and sin against the Lord, we don't have any assurance. Listen, those who are not living for Jesus don't have that assurance that God will protect or watch over them. Amen? We've got to walk in His way. So in answer to the question, does everybody have a guardian angel? The answer to that is no, everybody doesn't. And everybody is not promised angelic protection. It's for only for those who have made the Lord their God. Amen. And are walking in His ways and obeying His commands. That is who the protection is for. But what about Christians? What about you? How many here, we got? You're, you're born again, you're saved today, you love Jesus. You're walking in the ways of the Lord. Do you have, do born again believers have a personal guardian angel that follows you around and protects you? Well, you want me to tell you what I believe? Or you just want me to leave it there? (laughs) I believe we do. I believe that born-again believers do. If we fear the Lord, if we live for the Lord, if we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and you know, you might, you might ask, you might say, well, okay, Pastor Rick, do you have any scripture for that? Well, there are some interesting scriptures that tend to point in that direction. And one of them is something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 10. And Jesus made this statement, and he said, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. And he's talking about little children. He said, Take heed you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, listen, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He said, In heaven, their angels are always seeing the face of the Father. Well, that seems to indicate that Jesus was saying that little children have guardian angels. Y'all are so excited today. (laughs) Praise God. I don't know about any of your kids, but I know my kids had some angels watching over them in their life coming up. Amen? But that indicates that they have an angel that God has assigned to them that watches over them. Amen. Going back to the, to, the, to the story of Peter's deliverance in Acts chapter 12, when Peter got out of jail and the angel delivered him from, from jail, he goes to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, where they were praying there. They were gathered praying. And he goes up to the gate and he begins to pound on the gate for them to come and let him in. 
And there was a young girl by the name of Rhoda. Remember that? She runs to the gate. She doesn't even open it, but she hears Peter outside there saying, Hey, open up. It's, it's Peter. I'm, I'm out here. Let me in. And uh, she got so excited that Peter was set free from prison. She, she forgot to open the gate, and she runs back into the house and uh, where everybody's praying, and she said, Hey, everybody, Peter's outside. Peter's outside at the gate. He's knocking, wanting in the gate. And remember what they said to her? They said, you've lost your mind. That's why we're here praying. He's not at the gate. He's, he's still in prison. He's not that. You, you, you must be mistaken. You're beside yourself. It's not Peter. And notice what they said. It's his angel. It must be Peter's angel. So that verse indicates that they believed that Peter and saints had angels that God had stationed around them. So this verse indicates that we may have personal guardian angels, but the scripture is clear about one fact, and that is we do have angels of protection around us. And some of us, some of us may wear our angels out, and some of us may keep our angels really busy, amen, <laughs> all the time with protection, but we're still not to, uh, hey, don't, don't, don't tempt them, amen, but know that the there to protect you. And you know what? Let me tell you something. If God, and I mentioned this earlier, but if God would allow us to see into the spirit realm today, we would see, I believe we would see angels in this service today. You remember when, 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 the, when, when um, uh, the, uh, the army of Syria surrounded Elisha and, the, and his servant, and the servant of Elisha got up early one morning to go and, and uh, he looks out the window and there's the Syrian an army that has surrounded the city of Dothan. They're there for one reason. They're there to apprehend Elisha and that servant to take them back to Syria and to put them to death. He is the he's the on the most wanted list. Elisha is. And the whole army of Syria was sent to arrest Elisha. His servant sees the army of the Syrians around him. He runs into Elisha and he says, Alas, master, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And Elisha said to him, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. For he said, there are more that are with us than there are that are with them. There's more on our side than there are with them. I'm sure that the servant of Elisha thought this preacher has flipped out. There's two of us here and there's an army of Syrians around us. But then Elisha said, Lord, I pray that you will open his eyes. Remove that veil. Let him see. Let me, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a natural realm right here, right now. We're in the physical natural realm. We're not seeing into the spirit realm. But there is another realm. There is another world. There is a spirit world that is is even more real than this natural world in which we live in today because the natural physical world that we're in contact with was created by that spiritual realm come on by that by God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth when Elisha said open his eyes Lord the Lord lifted back the veil and let him see into the spirit realm and when he saw what did he see he saw chariots and horses of fire and angelic hosts that was around about the city protecting Elisha. I don't know that we've just got one angel. I believe we've got a whole host.
host of heavenly beings given charge over us to keep us and protect us in all of our ways. Can somebody say amen? And if we could see into that realm today, we would see that they are there. But we don't have to see them to know they exist and to know that they are there. Brother and Sister McGee had a terrible automobile accident just a few years ago. Totally, completely demolished their car, I believe. But here they are. You know why they're here? Because God had stationed an angel with them. Hallelujah to protect them through that, through that crash. Amen. He's not done with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. And I believe this, and you can agree or you can disagree, but I believe that every born again child of God washed in the blood of Jesus, you are invincible until God's ready for you to go home. As long as He's got something for you to do. God's protecting you. God is keeping you. God is there with you. And no evil shall befall you. And no plague come nigh your dwelling. He's there with us. He's given his angels charge over you to keep you, guard you, and protect you in all of your ways. Come on, say amen. That shadow living, ladies and gentlemen, that's not living in the shadows. That's living under the shadow of the Almighty God and being protected by His angelic hosts. Oh, man. Amen. Man, that's good news today. Praise God. Praise God. Let me close. I'm done. There are three things about angelic help that as we live under the shadow of the Almighty. As we've been talking about the secret place, the shadow of God, delivering from the snare of the fowler, delivering us from the perilous pestilence, from the arrow by day, the terror by night. And now, talking about the angels that protect us. There's three things about that angelic help that we want to just mention this morning. And the first one is this, and we see this in this passage. That it won't always, even though we're in the right way, even though we're under the shadow of God's protection. Even though angels have been given charge to keep us and protect us, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be an easy way just because it's the right way. I mean, he's listening to me. Well, I thought, brother, I thought when, you know, when you get saved, everything's milk and honey and bed of roses. Let me say this, living for Jesus Christ is the best life that anybody could ever live. Go, hallelujah. Going through that straight gate, walking on this straight and narrow way in this path 
it's the best path to live and the greatest way to live. You know, and you know, I, I hear people say, well, it's so hard to live for God. No, you know, so, yeah, if you're trying to do it. I had some DVDs one time I bought. I was trying to learn how to play golf. And the name of the title of this series of DVDs was Golf is Not Hard Unless You're Doing It Wrong. And I thought, well, I, I, obviously I'm doing it wrong. Amen. But, but I thought about that, and it's the way people say it's hard to live for Jesus. It's hard to live a Christian life. No, it's not really hard. It's impossible to live a Christian life if you're trying to do it within your own strength and your own power and your own ability. Praise God. But listen, it, it's not the way of the Christian that's hard. It's the way of the transgressor that is hard. Living for Jesus is the best life, the most blessed life, the most abundant life. Jesus said the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy but I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. It's an abundant overflowing life. It's the best life living for Jesus but it doesn't mean that it's a trouble free life. Amen. And that's brought out in this psalm. He said I'll give those angels, God will give those angels charge over you to keep you in your ways. Verse 12, he said, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is that saying? That sometimes, even when you're living under the shadow of the Almighty, there's some rocky places and there's some rough roads and there's some rough ways that we have to travel. There are times, in, in, you know, in life that everything is going good, everything is going well, and you're in the will of God, and you're enjoying the blessings of God. But then there are those times when literally, you know this as well as I do, that literally all hell breaks loose in your life. And it seems like Satan has unleashed and bombarded you with everything that he can throw at you. And you've come to the place and been in the place where you didn't know if you're going to make it through or not. I've been there in ministry. Brother and Sister McGee have been there in ministry. You've been there in your own personal lives when you didn't know whether you're going to make it. There were some rough roads. There were some rocky places. But praise God, you had God's overshadowing presence. You had His angels around you to lift you up and carry you. God talked about those children of Israel, how He would bear them on eagles' wings. And I'm telling you, there's been some times in my life, ladies and gentlemen when I know that God picked me up and carried me through those rough times in life you've got him with you he's on your side the way may be rough but he's going to see you through I said the way may be difficult at times but God will see you through no matter what comes your way amen he will his angels are around you and we will encounter opposition. We will encounter opposition. Verse 13, he says, You will tread on the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent. Both of those are pictures of Satan. The lion is strong and powerful, a frightening creature. But, and the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour, but praise God, I got news for you. If you're under the shadow, oh, 
if you're in the secret place and under the shadow of the Almighty. I don't let that lion roar. He can roar all he wants to. If he gets a hold of you, all he can do is gum on you. He can't devour you. Amen. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died and shed his blood, he kicked the lion right in the mouth and knocked his teeth out and defeated him. And he's given us power over all the power of the enemy. Somebody needs to say amen today. Woo, let the lion roar. That's all he does. He tries to instill fear in you. But he said, the lion and the young lion shall not prevail over you. The cobra and the serpent. And that cobra and serpent are types of Satan as well. The cobra is the most venomous of serpents. They say that cobra, a, a, a strike or a bite from a cobra is poisonous enough, deadly enough that it can kill an elephant. Baby cobras, the venom in a baby cobra is as, is as strong and potent as that as in an adult cobra. And God uses that symbolism and that analogy of a cobra, a deadly serpent, showing the opposition and the poison and the subtility of Satan trying and desiring to destroy your life. But what did he say? You shall tread. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You shall tread on the cobra and on the serpent. Amen. That's saying that there's power and there's victory over all the works and the, 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 the schemes and the plans and the plottings of Satan that would try to take you out. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. God's angels of involvement, involvement are in your life constantly, I believe that, to keep you, to protect you in all your ways as you follow the Lord on your up days, and your down days, when you're awake, when you're asleep, when it's sunshine or when it's stormy, we need to focus on walking with God and being close to God and staying under that secret place. And as we do our part, God will do His part. Woo! Hallelujah! Amen. Amen. Worship team, would you come back, please? And let's worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. It's all about being led.